I have to start, Thor, with, of course, the question of why. Everyone needs to know why someone decides to uproot their life and go on a journey across the world. Well, yeah, I have had that question a lot. <laughs> and and I, I just it just came to me, maybe I should counter that question and say, wouldn't you want to be the first in history to do something? Yeah. I yeah, would. Well, okay. So let's uh, leave it. No. So uh, I, I have uh, international background. My mother's from Finland. My father's from Denmark. We moved to North America when I was a kid, and I grew up there for a few years. Came back to Denmark. So I, I kind of uh, packed and unpacked a few times and made new friends here and there. And I've always had an interest in the world and meeting people and uh, diving into different cultures and and all that stuff. So what I just completed here and came home from last week is absolutely next level. And I I do ask myself, like, where the heck did that come from? <laughs> but uh, I think that the source, well, I know that the inspiration came from an email my father sent. There was a link and I clicked on it and I read the article and I found out that just about 200 people had been to every country in the world back in 2013. And um, no one had done it completely without flying. And that just stuck with me. Uh, I grew up adoring adventurers, the first to go to North Pole, South Pole, deep inside the jungles, following the long rivers. Uh, you know, just all of this adventure stuff and feeling I was born too late. It had all been done. There was You couldn't go anywhere where no one had stood before. You could hardly say a thing that hadn't been said before. And there it was. No one had gone to every country in the world completely without flying. So it stuck with me. But I wasn't out the door the next day. Right. <laughs> there was a build-up. And after about 10 months, I had a fully formed project, and I was ready to head out. Wow. And so lay down some of the ground rules that you had to be able to do this. So what would count as like visiting a country right so that would be 24 hours the minimum within this project was 24 hours there are three cardinal rules one was that time limit minimum 24 hours in each country another cardinal rule was absolutely no flying for any reason whatsoever so no hot air balloon no paragliding no helicopter trip don't even flight. jump too high in the air. No, don't don't jump too high. Yeah. I've been in a couple of speed boats that kind of <laughs> got in the air a little bit. Um, and then um, I couldn't go home until I reached the final country or if I quit the project. So it had to be in one continuous journey, uh, unbroken. And uh, yeah, that, that became my own little prison. I didn't know it when I left. Before you left, did you route all 203 countries or did you have a general idea or did you say i'll start it and i'll figure it out as i go no i i I did the planning i my background's in shipping and logistics and um it made sense to me to go and buy a world map and a blue pen and a red pen and do two alternate routes um and i set out and i followed the planning of it i suppose that i probably held to to my plan, let's say 90% of it. The, the the biggest stuff, the biggest surprises came to me in the Pacific, where in in my inexperienced mind, I thought that you'd go from the island nation that was closer to the next island nation. That would make sense. But reality is uh, it's based off shipping routes. 
and uh, those two island nations might not have anything to trade with uh -huh. or and that kind of stuff. So the ships they might go on wild detours, and yeah, you connect it completely different. And then obviously the pandemic. I was when, just going to uh, say, geez, come on, that that has to be an insane wrinkle. Where were you? Yeah, I was in the Pacific, and I was on board a ship heading to Hong Kong, not because I needed to visit Hong Kong, because I counted that as a part of China, but for transit. <laughs> I went to Hong Kong for four days of transit, and uh, then the pandemic broke out. I was on my way to Palau, but that didn't happen. I ended up being in Hong Kong for two years instead. So that, that was a big wrinkle, if you want to put it like that. And, and then once I was able to leave Hong Kong, I did manage to go to Palau and then eventually come back to Hong Kong and then head on my way to Australia. And then I was left with countries in the Pacific where most of them were still closed due to the pandemic. So I had to negotiate with a variety of different governments and plead for entry. Wow. Did you tell your story? Is that how you pledge your way in and saying, this is what I'm trying to do? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the solutions within this project has have, have come to life because of other people. So I made a variety of different connections and I've had an immense amount of support from so many people. So, I mean, you probably can't just tweet the president of a country. <laughs> you, you could, but I'm not sure you'd get a reply. But uh, you go to someone in between, and if, if you if you know the right people, then it really just all connects. And so networking has been a big part of the game. I want to just back up a second. Those two years in Hong Kong, I mean, a yeah. cool, I imagine a cool place to be stuck for two years. But at the same time, you, you don't know when you're going to be able to continue <laughs> on, right? Like, I mean, it's already probably taken longer than you thought at that point, and then you're like, oh my gosh, did you, did at that point or at any point? Were there moments where you're like, I'm done. I, I, I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, long, long before the pandemic broke out, I was I was worn out and good and ready to go home. And then the pandemic happened. So that really wasn't helpful. I was very lucky with Hong Kong, though, because what I was doing, I was going between countries in the Pacific. And these are so there are a lot of tiny island nations there. And they are lovely in their own right, but they do not offer a lot of opportunity and certainly not in the same way that Hong Kong does. So I would either be on a small island nation or I would be on a ship. And I was lucky enough to get stuck in Hong Kong and neither on a ship or on a small island nation. Yeah. So that was good. Then we didn't know. We didn't know what this was. I was in Hong Kong dealing with this uh, virus outbreak long before the rest of you because it was close to Hong Kong. It was about a thousand kilometers out. So what is that? Five, six hundred miles out. Um, and, and the world was shutting down greater China. So the world started closing its borders to China, Hong Kong and Macau. So I was right in it. But Hong Kong didn't have any virus outbreaks. It wasn't a part of daily life in Hong Kong. It was in mainland China. So we kind of felt like we were getting dragged into something that, <laughs> that didn't really concern us. Yeah. And uh, I was trying to see if I could negotiate with any surrounding countries and see if I could just get on a ship or if I could go somewhere. But they were quite strict about it. Hong Kong had uh, experience with virus outbreaks. Um, they had uh, an outbreak, SARS, um, about 20 years earlier 
And that really shook society in Hong Kong. So they took this very seriously. And uh, we didn't know. We didn't know what this was back in the early days, right? No one knew well, if, if people were just going to lie down and, and half the planet's going to disappear. And we had no idea what was going to happen long before it had a name, long before we had any vaccines. Yeah. And before we had any vaccine deniers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those were the good old days, huh? Yeah, good time. Before yeah. we started hoarding uh, yes. toilet paper and stuff. Right. But yeah, no, Hong Kong was a blessing, but the, the mental situation of being locked in um, and not knowing when you can go and essentially being in a prison where you have the key, because at any point I could go to the airport, fly home and call it quits, right? So that was a mental struggle. Yeah. You kept yourself to this budget, too, of uh, ideally $20 a day to be able to do this. Is that a lot of asking locals? Is that a lot of doing some work ahead of time, like putting it out? I mean, obviously, you have a social media following that you're you're doing the saga on, people reaching out, inviting you to their home. Like, how did you do that? Yeah, so the social media following has grown in recent years. You know, in the, the early years, it was like my mother and my siblings and a few of my friends. And that kind of stuff. Right, because they're like, oh, here's this guy. He's gone to 10 countries. This is no big deal, right? But then it starts yeah, yeah. to get legs. Yeah, exactly. You, you need to sort of, like, you need to transition between people thinking you're a tourist and discovering that something's going on here, which is beyond normal. And uh, that took time for sure. Uh, yeah, $20 a day, it's, it's more than enough in some countries. Some countries you earn less than $10 a day and then you're, you're getting three decent meals. You have a bed to sleep in. You have Wi-Fi access and local transportation. But obviously, uh, if the option is between two buses and one is the luxury bus that hardly stops anywhere and, and, and <laughs> there are glass windows and air condition and they serve a meal and uh, you can plug in and charge your phone and there's Wi-Fi on board or a chicken bus with no glass windows, <laughs> no air con, no meals, uh, lots of noise and it stops everywhere, then that's your bus on a, on a, project budget like that but yeah people were definitely kind i mean so many people have reached out and invited me sometimes just for beer uh, sometimes for a place to stay for a meal um in, in venezuela they would drive me for hours because they said you know i already have the car and uh, the petrol is practically free it's so low cost and we have all the time in the world because no one has a job so i'll drive you <laughs> <laughs> and that's amazing. I I just have so many billions of questions. Um, so I, I want to know, where did you go in America? Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to visit uh, twice within this project. So the first time I came from Canada, I came from Toronto and crossed to Buffalo. Mm -hmm. And then a bus got me from Buffalo to Washington. And I met with the Red Cross in Washington. I saw a couple of the museums, took a few photos, and then I got on a train up to Chicago. And yeah. <laughs> I wish I would have known. I would have gotten you a beer and brought you on the radio when you were in town. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. I had all of four hours in Chicago before I got on the, on the California Zephyr, um, which was a brilliant train. And I made such good friends, and I had so many wonderful conversations. On that specific train, that was, that was, that was like a magical train. That was 
So fantastic. Met Americans from all over the U.S. on that trip. That was really great. And then came down to San Francisco and spent a little bit of time there. And then went, I guess, L.A. and to Mexico. And, and I was out. And then much later, I came through after I'd been to South America, Central America, South America, and every island nation in the Caribbean. Wow. Um, I came on a boat from Bahamas to, now I can't remember if it was Miami or Fort Lauderdale, but that's almost close enough. They're the same. Yeah. And I was back in the US. And then I went up the East Coast up to Norfolk in uh, Virginia. Virginia. And uh, got on a container ship from there back to Europe. And then I was done with the Western Hemisphere. Wow. Wow. So I, I went to. 16 or 18 states, but a lot of those states would be me in a train or in a bus right. looking out the window, right? <laughs> I'm honored that you even got to stop for four hours in Chicago on this uh, journey. You mentioned <laughs> the windy city. Yeah, there you go. Uh, what month did you go into Chicago, by the way? It was good. It was good. I didn't have to wear a jacket. I, Perfect. I, I, I came to Canada. And that was the first country where I took my jacket off. Everything before that was cold. <laughs> That's ironic. Uh, yeah. Okay. You, you mentioned the shipping container out of the United States. And I know from the Maldives, you ended up on a shipping container for like a month to go back to your home. Mm. Was it just your knowledge of logistics that helped you out? Did you reach out to these companies or can I go on a shipping container? Like, how does that work? Uh, well, the answer is yes and no. So the shipping the, the container ships that I went on, the container vessels that I traveled on board do not take passengers. And you would have to reach out to the company and you would have to put in a special request and uh, you might be given permission. You, you might share their story and uh, reach an audience. So they might have interest and you might be able to bring some incentive. But uh, an ordinary traveler, there's nothing you can say or do to persuade a big shipping company to take you on board. However, there are some companies out there that have made a business out of it. So there's a website and uh, you go and they have certain, like between a couple of ports or something like this, a certain months of the year and you pay outrageous prices, I've heard. It's uh, far more than if you would fly because you're paying for the experience and and Uh. there needs to be something in it for them, I guess. Uh, But yeah, I've been on 40 container ships throughout this project. (laughs) So imagine that. Leaving home and going, like, okay, what do I need? I need a compass, I need some rope, and I need 40 container ships. Okay, <laughs> where's that? <laughs> it's all I need to get this done. You mentioned yeah. all the islands in the Caribbean, the island nations, and I think that's yeah. real, and the Pacific as well. And I really think that's where you start to grasp just how many countries there are, right? Like 203, mm-hmm. that number doesn't like, like seem shocking to someone. And when you think, oh, if I backpacked through Europe, I knocked off 10 or 11, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. But when you really think about just how many they are and in some really remote locations to get to, I mean, yeah. it's daunting. It is. I, I mean, to put it into context, I, I did this project. I traveled. I left Denmark as a goodwill ambassador of the Danish Red Cross. And I was asked to write a always present story about each national society around the world. And at the time when I left home, the Red Cross was in 187 or 189 countries. And today is in 192 countries. So the movement grew. So what I'm about to tell you is imagine that I tasked you with reaching out to the Red Cross in 10 countries, setting up a meeting with them, 
sitting down, listening to the humanitarian work that they carry out, then go back home and write a story for 10 countries. You would probably see that as a pretty big task. Yeah. I did that in 199 countries around the world. I mean, it, it puts it into perspective how, how big it was. Wow, that's incredible. Now, as an American traveling, I would fear or not even consider going to North Korea, Russia, mm. probably now after the invasion yeah. where he's there, Iran, Iraq. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, there's travel yeah. warnings. Our State Department says don't go to these places. I don't even know yeah. if I can get visas to go to these places. I don't know. I don't want to dive into the the, the Denmark versus all these countries relationships. But was was the visa process hard? Were there any countries you feared being in? Mm, yeah, I mean, there was a select amount of countries where the visas were nearly impossible to get, and especially if you're not flying uh, Iran, 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 as they like to say. Um, it's such a friendly country, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, I hear it's things, beautiful. It is. It's gorgeous, and it's modern, and it's advanced, and the culture, and uh, I mean that we we should be grateful to those countries, to Iraq and Syria, because that's where it all started. That's that's the reason why we can have conversations like these today. That's where civilization was born, right? But uh, a long time ago. And uh, the times have changed, I guess. But to, but to come back to Iran, um, they, they're friendly with Denmark. And uh, they have four international airports where I can fly to and get my visa on arrival. Wow. But if I want to enter Iran across a land border, then they put me through a mountain of, of red tape and paperwork. I mean, I, I think I spent three weeks getting that uh, visa. And I mean, three weeks is it, it's, it's a long time in some contexts and not a long time in other. But uh, but compared to getting it on arrival. So, but yeah, there I think four or five countries do not issue visas unless you're applying in your resident country. And uh, I was out there in the world trying to get these visas, so I had to convince the embassies or the consulates in different ways to help me. And it's not necessarily straightforward. A lot of the time you go, I'm trying to do it's historical and yes. inspiring people. Is that every country without flying and you just be their shark eyes going like, no, I don't care about what you're right. doing. Right. <laughs> so, but you did it. Yeah, I did it, and it, it was far from easy. And uh, looking back, I, I think I probably couldn't do it two times. Um, but it was it might have been one once out of a million. I I think it's highly unlikely that this will ever be done again. It's a fair point you bring up. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I and I want to avoid saying what was your favorite country because I'm sure you can't choose. But like, <laughs> what was like a country you mentioned Iran. I don't know if that surprised you or not. It's beauty. I'm sure you had seen photos before, and maybe that's what you were expecting. But was there a country or two that completely blew your mind in a way you didn't expect? There are some really beautiful countries out there in the world. And, uh, coming home after so long, I would include my own country. I think I always feel it's a little bit more beautiful when I've been away for some time. But I, I remember uh, Venezuela being strikingly beautiful, just absolutely gorgeous nature and uh, the, the, the landscape and all of it. There was um, 
uh, it's one of the Caribbean islands. It's been so long. I can't, you don't know which one. Yeah, I can't remember which one it was. You feel like a a cruiser. I'm like, oh, we went to one every day. I don't remember. It was beautiful. (laughs) Turks and Caicos, maybe? No, yeah, but they're all beautiful. But this one was primarily nature. It was, I think it was 80% uh, forested. It was truly, truly gorgeous. Um, Iran is is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful country, but but it wouldn't be on my list of the most beautiful countries. I had been to 50 countries before I set out from home. So about a quarter of the countries I went to were revisits for me, and Iran was one of those. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of beauty. There's a lot of beauty in the Pacific. Uh, there's a lot of beauty where you find mountains. It, it really depends on what you what you want. I, I think the real beauty for a country lies in the people and um, the culture and how people they carry themselves and how they treat foreigners and strangers and, and so on. And in that sense, there are many many beautiful countries in the world as well. I yeah, I imagine it first and and still part of it. You're you're checking off countries on a list, but it, yeah. each one of those little check marks you make, there is like nuggets of memories and people that you meet. Like it's way more than just going tick, 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 tick. Yeah. I mean, you, you need to figure out how things work because you're operating in this case, it's a project. It's an expedition. It's a, I'm, I was exploring, is it possible to go to every country in the world completely without flying? And, uh, and in that process, you need to get a SIM card. And how do you get a SIM card? Can you buy it on every street corner? Do you do it online? Do you need to get to some Wi-Fi to do it? Can you only do it in a government shop? And can you do it as a foreigner? Do you need to show your passport? You just give them like all oh, that. And that's just a SIM card, right? So how about a bus? Do you do that online? Do you do it at a counter? Do you do it on the bus? And this is for every country you go to. You need to work out how do things operate. I'm back home in Denmark now. It's been almost 10 years. Uh, we're, we're sorting our garbage like crazy. There are 10 different bins. Plastic goes here. Paper goes here. Compost it wasn't like that. Yeah. yeah, when I left home, it wasn't like that, right? So now I'm, I'm trying to understand my own country through the glasses of having seen every country in the world and sort of look at, okay, what works in Denmark? What makes Denmark nice and safe and a fantastic country? And what could be better? What, what could we learn from other countries and so on? That's... But yeah, no, it's, it's been, it's been hectic. It's been stressful. Like getting in touch with the Red Cross in all of these countries, uh, there was the dissemination of the project wasn't good within the humanitarian movement. <laughs> So when I call them or when I send them an email, they go like, who's this joker? What's he talking about traveling every country without flying? It must be spam. And uh, it's, it's hard to explain to them what the benefit is. Uh, and it's for them that I come and visit. And uh, they seem to see it, you know, in the, in the, in the, real, in the real mirror. But uh, while it was ongoing, it was tough. Um, yeah, finding ships to get, you know, Convincing I, a, a large shipping company that it's a good idea to bring you on board. Good luck with that. I don't know how you did. It. I I I yeah. went through Europe uh, like backpacking when I was in college, and even that because it was kind of right when phones were like it was before smartphones, and I thought that yeah. was difficult. But that's Western Europe where <laughs> things are very predictable in many ways, and well, it's yeah. a challenge, you can figure it out when obviously there's a bazillion different cultures. I want you to get back to your friends and family. I don't want to take up any more of your time because you've <laughs> been away for so long. But you mentioned before we started that, are you married? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm married. I, oh. I got married twice within this project. Wait, really? Yeah, it's a good story. I'll give it to you. I'll okay. give you a really short version of what could be an hour long. Uh, <laughs> I bet. That's a whole other so, show. Yeah. We were, I'm in her apartment now, and this is the same apartment she had uh, when we were a couple um, back in 2013. And obviously we had a talk where we're going to stay together and we thought this would take four years or less. So not 10 years. I think we would not have stayed together if we knew it would take 10 years, but I'm glad we did though. Uh, but we decided to stay together and the uh, 2013 and then 2015, 16, 2016, I asked her to marry me on top of Mount Kenya, which is the second highest mountain in Africa. So that was already pretty good. Yeah, and and then uh, we figured, okay, we'll get married uh, within a couple of years, maybe when I'm back home, or maybe somewhere in the world. Then the pandemic broke out, and I was locked into Hong Kong, and there was just no way she could get inside Hong Kong, uh, being my fiance. But we found out that if I was a resident and if she was my wife, then we could make it work. And then we found out that there is an agency in Utah that marries people; they wed people online. Wait, in Utah? <laughs> in Utah. In the United States, yeah. is Utah. That's right. Okay. So we got in touch with them. And this is really a short version of this story. So we got in touch with them. We had a sort of like Zoom call thing. We were able to get the parents and the family and friends on. And then uh, because of the time difference, she got married on the 19th of December. And I got married on the 20th. Then we got official paperwork from Utah. That passed in uh, Hong Kong. Then I uh, got her a visa and uh, she flew to Hong Kong, quarantined at a hotel for three weeks and then we were together for about 100 days. Then we tried to process this same wedding in Denmark and Denmark laughed at us. Go, like, you're not married. You can't get married online. That's ridiculous. So years later, when I was out of Hong Kong and then uh, back in the Pacific going between island nations, she came to visit me in Vanuatu, which is a beautiful island nation in the Pacific. And there's a German woman there, and uh, she helped us, and we were able to get a proper wedding, um, but in Vanuatu. So that needs to get processed by the registry and government, this kind of stuff. So the German woman was going to help us with that. Unfortunately, the government of Vanuatu had a hacker attack, one of these ransomware attacks. So all their computers and all their hard disks and all of this, they, there was nothing they could do. So that took them several months. And when they were starting to get back on their feet, they were hit really hard by a typhoon. And then shortly after that, a second typhoon. So it still hasn't been processed, so it's legal in Denmark. But what we do know is that we're married in Utah, we're married in Hong Kong, and we're married in Vanuatu. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. All right. Uh, was getting home an incredible... Weight off your shoulders? Is it almost in some ways disappointing and thralling? Are you still processing it? I'm definitely still processing it. There's so much to reflect on. I have not had a break really. I mean, I reached the Maldives in May. That was the last country. And that was media, it was interested. And really, it's just been full on since I reached Maldives. Then eventually, I got on this ship for 33 days um, from from Asia back to Europe. And those 33 days were good in terms of uh, counting down and getting ready to come back home. But as soon as I got home, 
this is in full on media and interest again. It was a really nice uh, homecoming, though. About 150 people showed up at the port with uh, small flags and waving. There was a jazz band uh, playing uh, when the Saints come marching home. And <laughs> it, was, it was real good. So and I'm coming home to a country that I haven't been to for a long time. I'm coming home to a new life where I'm hoping to launch myself as a public speaker and an author. We have a documentary coming out in 2024. So a lot of new stuff is going on. And all I really want is just some peace and quiet to reflect and <laughs> land. You, I mean, I, I mean, the U.S. is probably very familiar with the soldiers going abroad and on missions and coming back home and then not fully coming back home. Yeah. The, the body comes back home, but it takes a while for the mind to come home. I've been away for nearly a decade under a lot of stress uh, with an immense workload. It's going to take me some time to get back home for sure. Yeah, we wish you luck on that journey. Any, uh, ad, any, any advice for someone here listening in Chicago that you know, maybe is a skeptical of traveling, hasn't done it yet. Obviously what you did wasn't tourism, but there's something about experiencing another country, another place that changes you. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, there's, there's formal education and everyone should try to get one of those, but, but there's also and living and uh, you go through that no matter where you are in the world. But my advice would be to look at it like this. When you're dealing with humans on this planet, and I don't care about politics or religion or which corner of the world or the language they speak, when you're dealing with humans, it's basically a reverse lottery. It's so hard to lose. You're just going to meet fathers and mothers and children, students and office employees and just people being people, taking selfies, updating social media, dancing, eating good food, sports. It's just people. It's just people. That's awesome. That's a great way to end it. Thor Peterson, I really appreciate your time. Once Upon a Saga is all the social medias. I had fun going back through your Instagram. Having just learned about you when you got home, I was like, well, I wish I would have known for 10 years because could, I could attract you on GPS on your website. That would have been fun. Yeah. But I went back and uh, thank you for giving us some time. Good luck. And let's talk in a year or so when you've had some time to breathe and we can promote your documentary and any books that you're no doubt going to have written. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, Thor.